0: Welcome to all of you who have just joined us for the Empower Hour webinar. We're so happy that you could make it and that we can spend some time together this evening. Joining Tanya tonight is Stuart Staudinger, a retired military veteran who has become an expert in international law and how it applies to Canada. Stuart will be taking questions during the question and answer period. When it's your turn to speak, please keep your question brief, relevant and to the point. Action for Canada is a grassroots movement reaching out to millions of Canadians and uniting our voices in opposition to the destructive policies tearing at the fabric of our nation. Through call to action campaigns, we equip citizens to take action. We are committed to protecting faith, family, and freedom. Don't you find that hard times often bring out the best in people and terrible circumstances often bring about the most growth. That's because when we're faced with hardship and adversity, we realize how much we need God. We grab onto Him out of desperation, and He's always there to support us and to lift us up. When hard times come, remember that God made you, He loves you, He has Has a plan for your life and he's preparing a future for you. Psalm 50, verse 15 says, To call upon God in the day of trouble, he will deliver us and we will glorify his name. Now, many of you know that Tanya is an amazing freedom fighter who is passionate about Canada. For the past six and a half years, she's been spreading the word about government corruption and the destructive policies that are undermining our nation. If you go to the Action for Canada website, you'll be amazed at the volume of resources she and her team have been working on to enable and empower you to stand up for your rights and freedoms. Tanya is a woman of faith, passion and integrity, and she always has so much information to share with us. Hello, Tanya.
1: Hi, Heather,
2: and hello, everyone. (laughs) Thanks, Terenzio, bringing us in with a clap and a cheer here. So anyways, Heather, thank you as always. I just want to remind people that at 4.30, we sort of open the doors and start letting everybody in and uh, get comfortable before 4.45, or that's BC time we're talking about, of course, where Heather gives the presentation of the orientation for about 15 minutes. And that's because there's a lot of people waking up in Canada right now, and they're getting to know about Action for Canada, but they don't know about um, all of the material materials or resources that we have. So we're gonna keep that orientation going for all those new people so that they can become informed And um, so anyways, I'm going to get through, I always do an update and I'm just going to get right into that because I can't wait to bring Stuart on. I think it's going to be an incredible evening. And as always, we hope that you're going to feel encouraged and empowered by the end of this and be filled up with hope and as well as um, knowing that there's community. And on that, as far as community is concerned, I super want to continue to encourage people to join the Action for Canada chapters. Uh, We are vetting and approving new chapter leaders weekly and then adding it to our chapter leader page. Um, It is a critical way in order to um, assist one another, find support. We don't want anybody feeling alone. We want our businesses and our churches opening up their facilities so that maybe teachers and students could find a safe place to learn. And um, as well, the more that we're hearing about vaccine injury, people are going to need encouragement and support. Uh, There's many provinces that are beginning to open and get rid of all these extreme measures. But of course, uh, we can't trust them. I know it's Scott Moe in Saskatchewan. We're hearing about what's going on in Ontario, Jason Kenney in Alberta, and so on. Uh, the WHO is announcing the uh, digital ID. This was the whole goal the whole time. And uh, so we can't put our guard down. And in Saskatchewan, when we were in a chapter meeting on Monday, one of the leaders said they've just canceled like all of the restrictions and kids are getting the masks off in school, et cetera. They go, where do we go from here? And um, this is going to be a message for all of you. It is not the end of our journey. It's just the beginning. And what I mean by that is that we are going to work to replace every single elected official at all levels of government. I know I sound like a broken record, but I need all of you to consider, are you willing to run for office as a school board trustee, as a city councillor, a mayor, an MLA, an MPP? We are going to want to and we need to replace all the bad players. And then we're making a list. And um, it is of the individuals, uh, whether city councillors, trustees, who have been in the midst of this fight and on our side. And then we're going to work really hard in our chapters and in those communities to make sure they get reelected. And we want to as well recruit really good people and then help them to get elected. It is part of the key of getting out from underneath all of this. All right. So for everybody, anybody that's new, this is the Action for Canada menu. And if you're just joining us and actually maybe haven't actually registered with Action for Canada, please make sure you do um, as well. Join a parents group or a business team or the Workers Unite. Uh, and also maybe you might want to join a chapter, but join us. When you join, you will automatically be emailed. Oops, didn't mean to do that. Get back to recent actions. Every week we send out a letter and it looks like this. It's always very informational and it always has calls to action in it. So this week it was conspiracy to commit crimes against humanity, reality, not a theory. And in here we name quite a list and say all those involved in implementing the unlawful COVID measures will face serious consequences for their part in committing crimes against humanity. And I know some of you are feeling quite defeated here today and said everything is so corrupt. There's corruption in the courts. How are we ever going to seek justice? Well, as I get down towards the bottom, we're going to see where during World War II, uh, back in, in uh, 2021, 2020, uh, 2019, I'll get to it, somebody indeed was held to account, even from World War II. So we're going to be patient and persistent, and and we are going to maintain that. Each and every single person here had a duty and a responsibility to care about life and not commit the egregious uh, crimes against humanity that we have witnessed. So, of course, our special guest tonight is uh, is Stewart. And every week uh, when we send out the invitation and this this email, we always make sure the Empower Hours posted near the top and give you an opportunity to register in advance. We're gonna be talking uh, about this video that uh, Stuart had posted and he got a great response. And he's talking about Justin Trudeau has led a government that has violated multiple international and national laws, committing crimes against humanity. He has done this in a nation where provincial governments have also committed these criminal acts. And so we're gonna talk about justice. All right, I talked about digital ID, that this is not the end of our battle, that they're going into the next phase. For those who, you know, might have said or you may have friends that are saying, oh, it's just conspiracy theory. They're not going to force you to have a digital ID. Oh, yes, they are. That's the plan. And because they want to monitor everything and anything that you're doing, they're moving towards a social credit system. And in 2018, this gentleman, who was the uh, CEO and president of the Canadian Banking Association, he's telling you, They always put a great spin on it. This is always for your own good that we're putting in digital banking to make sure that your investments and your finances are protected. You got to get it through digital ID. Just say no. (laughs) No way, Jose. All right. Then this crazy guy, he is the advisor to Klaus Schwab, and um, I, I can't even describe how indecent it is, the things that he has to say or the process of thoughts. These individuals at the KBAL, at Davos, at the World Economic Forum, they they hate God, they hate creation, they hate all things good, and they want power, they wanna play God. So through all of this um, and the uh, injections, they are messing with people's DNA and they're not shy about it anymore. They say they're going to hack human beings on a massive scale, digitalize everyone, and then control what they say and what they do. That's, uh, again, if you can manage it, I'd encourage you to uh, review that video. And then if you have somebody, uh, maybe a coworker, a friend, a family member who just doesn't get it, you might want to show them these two videos as proof and evidence that uh, we are in a war, a global war. But I do say, don't let your heart be troubled by this. They are trying to uh, to play God, but guess what? God wins every time, so have faith. This was an image going around that I thought was of interest. I just heard today somebody had said that Andrew Shear was actually part of the World Economic Forum. I've seen that uh, Pierre Poliver is also on the list. Um, uh, Pierre Poliver is somebody that I haven't trusted for a, for a long time. I think there's some real fishy things that are going on. He's too much of a smooth talker. And why is it that Maxine Bernier and Derek Sloan had to leave the party, but Pierre Polliver, with his conservative values, was able to stay? Something's just not right, all right? So we have to question everything. Just a little more information on the World Economic Forum and how this global government is trying to take over. These are unelected bodies that are interfering with Canadian democracy. So I say, so what is the answer? One is, we are going to continue to unite and pursue justice and uh, convict get convictions on as many people as possible. And you say, how will that happen, Tanya? Everybody's so corrupt. Well, I am sure through the Second World War, they were feeling the same way about Hitler and his regime. But this gentleman, this gentleman right here, at 17 years old, he was a guard, an SS guard at a concentration camp. And he was in July of 2020 found guilty, as it says here, of accessory to the murder of over 5,200 people. So it took a long time to convict him. And there were others as well that were being convicted. And I love what it says here, you know, he was trying to say, ah, you know, he wasn't part of the gas chambers, but he did see the emaciated figures. He did stop people from escaping, etc. But prosecutors argued he had known what was happening had had contact with the prisoners and actively prevented their escape. When you are part of a mass murder machinery, it is not enough to look away. So listen to that, to every single doctor and nurse who saw what was going on, to these union union leaders who are refusing to um, read the information or as they've read it, they've uh, decided to turn a blind eye. This is why we're asking you, we don't know where all of this is going. It's unprecedented times, but serve the notices of liability, serve the additional letters, keep records, because one day individuals will be before a court. And I'm praying and hoping that there will be justice at so many different levels. The other way, of course, I just mentioned was to become an action, part of Action for Canada chapters, make sure that we are helping to recruit and support people of integrity to run for office and win. We've already had wins of two school board trustees in northern Alberta because of our teams getting behind them and helping them with that win. I'm hoping that you've all heard about the warning from Health Canada about the 50 calls. It says at least I think we could probably times that by a thousand. CBC actually reported on this. So then, you know, it's got to be it's got to be real and uh, to poison control over the rapid testing. So across the nation, we are asking everybody possible, start taking this information, send it to your employer, make sure they're aware of it, and as well as your schools. Love it about the parents win, the mother who won the case. It was incredible, the judge ruling. Um, Ezra Levant at Rebel News really did a great job going over it all. All right, Um, More great news, this is why you guys got to read our actions, is that Mackenzie County, one of the largest counties in Alberta, has turned around and told contractors and employers that if they're going to demand proof of vaccination, et cetera, in the workplace or on work sites, that the county will no longer be providing uh, work for them. So it's happening. Things are starting to unravel. All right. So call to action. Thank you to everybody who is continuing to bombard the Liberal MPs with um, emails telling them to remove uh, Trudeau and then requesting they resign. We've got to keep the pressure on them and use words. If you go into this, we even give a a template letter for you to use, add to it, take away from it, do whatever you want. Please continue to put the pressure on. They have got to be held accountable for the egregious crimes that they have uh, perpetrated against Canadians in the last two years and actually for many of them, it's been a lot longer than that. File a complaint against police. If they have infringed on your um, rights, please also reach out to the executives. We've made a whole list of RCMP and provincial commanders that um, you need to appeal to. As I've said at the top or the last uh, one is that it is countries that don't fall into
0: tyranny is when the military and the police stand with the people. Thank you so much, Tanya, for all your updates. And I am so pleased to be able to introduce everyone to Stuart Staudinger tonight. In 1991, Stuart moved from Canada to the UK to pursue a career in the Royal Air Force, where he obtained an honours degree in aeronautical engineering. In 1999, he obtained his wings as a helicopter pilot. Stewart's lists, list of accomplishments is impressive. He placed in the top three on his intermediate command and staff college course, and he was also a helicopter instructor and electronic warfare instructor. He served under live fire in Iraq, Bosnia, and Northern Ireland during his time in military service. In 2013, he retired as squadron leader, which is the equivalent of major Now, as a military veteran, Stuart has been extensively researching the law and science and how it relates to the current COVID tyrannies. His research has led him to become an expert in international law and how it applies to Canada. It is my very great pleasure to welcome you, Stuart, to the Empower Hour.
2: All right. Thank you, Heather, and welcome, Stuart. I would just like to hand the floor over to you because when I heard about you and I listened to that video that you put out on international law and our own national criminal code and, and some of the steps that you're taking, I just thought, oh, we got to have this man on. And, you know, you are all going to be so encouraged by the actions that uh, Stuart is taking. So over to you, Stuart.
1: Oh, thank you very much for having me. Um, yeah, it's been a bit of a bit of a... <clears throat> Interesting ride, that's for sure. Um, I don't know what uh, what background people have had in this, but uh, my interest, is, I'll just explain where my background interest comes. Um, I spent about four years flying support for U.K. Special Forces, and we ended up with, uh, um, by every time we deployed anywhere, we had uh, legal briefs on what we could and couldn't do, and we had to stick within the law of the host nation, we had to stick within the U.K. law and international law. So that was the background I came from. I'm not a lawyer. I'm an engineer by education and, uh, and a helicopter pilot by, uh, by career. And now I'm a, a rancher and, and a business owner. And, uh, so, um, but I, I've got a, a science background and, and so I started tying together my understanding of international law and the science behind this thing. And, uh, Mandates came in on about the 15th of March, 2020. Um, and, uh, I wrote my first letter through my MLA who I was on. I was on his constituency association board at the time. I wrote my first letter to the government, um, on the, uh, 24th of March, 2020. So nine days after the mandates came in and my letter, I'll sum it up cause it was a few pages long, but it effectively said, you're about, you're about to break the law. Stop. Um, cause I could tell even then that, uh, the language coming out of government, um, that they they weren't about to go and do what they needed to do legally uh to do what they were doing. And uh I was subsequently proved right, <laughs> unfortunately. And uh well, the rest is history as they say. Um we've been uh we've been experiencing a debacle of uh anti-scientific nonsense and illegality for the last two years now. So uh here we sit. So <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, I end up right. in the odd situation where I'm a retired military officer and uh, I get phone calls from lawyers asking me about the law. And I thought, well, that's a bit odd, but because they're, everyone in the legal profession specializes in one form or another, they're in corporate law, they're in criminal law, this, that, and the other. And I found out through this process that very few people are, uh, have an experience in international law. So unless they're a JAG lawyer, like a military lawyer that's been involved in a prosecution under inter- international law, so in an, in, in in Canada, that's probably the lawyers that would have dealt with the soldiers that came back from Somalia back in the mid-90s. Perhaps that was probably the last time, or maybe some of the Bosnia stuff. Um, but in general, uh, except for the lawyers that are in international law and work with the ICC, uh, there are almost no lawyers that, that have a very you know good knowledge of international law. So anyway, I guess that's how I end up where I am. <laughs>
2: Right, and well, we're grateful you are in this position, I know none of us want to be here and none of us want to be dealing with this situation, but we have no choice. You've been, in, you've been at war in foreign countries, and I can imagine that you never even thought that you'd be coming home and experiencing uh, the kind of uh, psychological warfare and the assault against Canadians uh, that we've been experiencing in the, in the last years.
1: No, I didn't expect that, but I suppose it gave me a little bit of... I me mean, i don't know anyone who doesn't come out of the military with a slightly jaundiced view of government um particularly in the last probably 30 years um uh you know when i was when i was i was in intermediate staff college in the uk at shrivnam and uh my thesis presentation was on um the fact that the and, and the, the whole libya intervention had just happened so nato forces had gone and knocked out Gaddafi, all that sort of stuff and um Our thesis presentation, so it was literally weeks before I was at staff college that this had occurred. And our staff college presentation was that there was no ethical reason for us doing what we'd done. It didn't meet the requirements of just war theory. um, There was literally zero um, actual moral or ethical justification for what had been done. And part of that, at the time, I I think we probably got our our assessment slightly wrong, um, because there's a syndicate of of seven of us that were doing the presentation. Um, because we were looking at it from a technical aspect, the fact that modern weaponry and everything else that allowed politicians, the idea that they can go to war with no risk. But well, the problem is there's always risk. It's just to the other side. You know, you can, sure you can, you can drop a 2000 pound bomb on a pinhead, but it still causes a lot of damage all the way around it. So, you know, it's, it's precise without being, uh, accurate, if that makes sense. Or it's uh, yeah, accurate without being precise. Sorry, the other way around. So, um, we were looking at it from that viewpoint, and so we kind of had this idea that, come out of the military, came out of the military knowing that politicians, A, don't understand international law, B, don't understand philosophically why the law is there, why it's been written the way it has. And also, we just saw the rampant corruption. I mean, the Libyan intervention, for example, was pushed by central banks because part, and probably a major part, because Gaddafi was trying to put, take the Libyan currency back onto the gold standard. So, <laughs> You know you, you you don't have to dig very far below the surface before you, before you find the, the actual motivation behind these things and it's uh, it's not a pretty picture
2: yeah it's money right uh we start a war <laughs> for money
1: or in, in some ways it's not even money i don't think i don't think half of these people are motivated by money i think they're motivated by power they've got all the money they right. want i mean how much money? a billionaire couldn't spend all the money he's gotten his entire lifetime it's down to power. People have a, and an unfor, this is an unfortunate thing: is there's a certain subset of, of humanity that, um, that uh, gets the kicks out of having power over people. Um, and uh, we saw that yeah. in the Second World War, with you know all the goons that Heinrich Himmler had under his command in the SS and, and the Gestapo, and you know, and then through the Cold War, like the, the East German Stasi and the NKVD, and then subsequently the KGB. You know, and even in the Western world, we've got the same problem: um, people that you know, for whatever reason consider themselves to be above the law. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a story as old as time,
0: you know?
2: Yeah. Well, power and, uh, that aspect of control, right. Control over humanity. Yeah. Uh, you've know, always, we're, we're experiencing something right now that's, uh, at a global level and everything that they're doing and implementing has been so unnecessary. So you always have to be able to think, critically, and that, uh, as far as psychological warfare is concerned, is where they gained an upper hand very quickly because they had not only conditioned Canadians but Westerners uh, to follow the government lead, uh, to be kind, to be conditioned, to speak in a certain way, to address certain issues. So they'd already worn down society, and now they bring fear in it and uh, fear into it and fear-mongering about wear the masks, and as well as using uh, some of our assets of a nation for Canadians who are always known as very caring, giving, uh, providing um, help to those who are in need, and then you start saying wear a mask for someone else, take a vaccination, you know, to help grandma. You're not you're selfish if you don't do this. Wearing people down and pitting them against one another, and uh, I see where we are now. I was out today, and it's just frightening. Uh, even though we've come so far to see where where people are at, and so. There's a couple of directions I want to go right now and something I want to ask you. Uh, When you talk about international law, I've been a proponent to say we need to pull out of the UN. This is an unelected body that is interfering with Canadian democracy. And yet we want to turn to international law, possibly for justice. How do you separate those two? And if there is nothing that's been passed through Canadian Parliament, that these are international agreements, like I say, with a corrupt foreign body, then how, who, who would we end up turning to if not Parliament, um, if we proceed with this? Would it be New York, Geneva? How, how is international law applicable
1: now? We well, see international law predates the UN by a long time, a long way. Um, you can go all the way back to the Treaty of Westphalia, really, uh, birth of the nation state, where, where. Larger and larger groups of nations came around and and um, and set a set of rules, effectively saying these are the rules. Now it, it comes out of English Enlightenment thinking, um, so it is it was driven and to a lesser extent the French, but the you know, French Enlightenment thought went went down a slightly different tack, which kind of went wrong, as we all know, with uh, with the um, what do they call it? What do they call themselves? The uh, the Committee for Public Safety and the guillotine um, didn't didn't really work out that well, but um, but uh, the English Enlightenment thought. Um, and it, and I mean, the Enlightenment is where it became a political philosophy, classical liberalism, you know, liberal democracy. The whole concept of balance of powers and everything um, kind of came into being. But it, you can dial it back further in English tradition, back to uh, you know, Runnymede and the, bar- the barons at Runnymede forcing King John to sign the Great Charter. Um, and it, and it was, hang on a second, in, in dim and distant past, because we're talking about biblical history, going all the way back to like you know the time of the Exodus and that sort of thing. They had this concept of the rule of law where everyone is equal before the law and everyone is equal under the law, including the leaders um, and no one is above the law and and so they super we, we superimposed that about eight hundred years ago back onto our society um and and that you know that started off with a you know small group of people on an island off the coast of europe um, uh but it's a philosophy that actually comes out of the Middle East and northeast Africa um mm-hmm. Uh, you know historically and and so it's not a it's not a european idea um although you know that's where it first became held legal weight um uh sorry in the modern era obviously it held weight you know a long time ago um even in the roman era they had a better sense of the rule of law than than we do now although they didn't have equality under the law they did have um a a very formal set of rule of law. and For example, a Roman citizen could petition all the way to the emperor. Um, and so now we've got a, a situation where the rule of law is broken down. The first time in the Commonwealth since the English Civil War in the 1600s that, that we've had this, um, you know, such a gratuitous breakdown of the rule of law. Um, and so the international law thing comes into that. And I, and I have to say, I, I understand why we need the international law because up until the Second World War in Canada, around the Commonwealth, we had the common law principle. So actually section 15 of the criminal code effectively says you can't be convicted of an offense if you if you were um if you uh committed that offense um uh, in, in direct abeyance of a law that was in order at the time. Because that was a common law principle. You know, you're you're obeying a law, so how can that be offense? Um, but then, then the second world war came along uh and it was perfectly legal to uh, turn your turn your Jewish uh, neighbors into the Gestapo, and and uh, in fact, it was against the law not to and that sort of thing. And so after the Second World War, they realized that there's a limit on common law because a population can go wrong. So there have to be a certain set of laws that that no one is allowed to break, and that's where the international law came in. So we um, we had the Nuremberg Code and the Nuremberg Charter, which effectively drove the Nuremberg trials. Um, and then subsequent to that was written the International, sorry, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, um, which wasn't in itself law. It was kind of a guideline document. But that, the, the principles in that got encapsulated in law in the mid 60s in the ICCPR, so the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, and the International Covenant on, on um, uh, Economic and, politi- and uh, Civil and Economic Rights, something like that, ICASC. And those became the first two serious bodies of what they now call conventional international law. So the ones prior to that would be considered uh, customary international law. But if you go back a little bit further, the Hague conventions, Geneva conventions, these things were signed not under the auspices of the UN. The UN just happens to be, you know, in parallel. It happens to be there. It's, it's, it's the body that people take their human rights complaints to. Uh, The UN human rights commission was formed um, as a, as a part of the uh, um, ICCPR. Um, but that doesn't mean that we need to rely on the UN to do these things. The Inter- International Criminal Court can be a standalone. The Nuremberg trials were a stand- standalone tribunal. Um, and, uh, and so I, do- I don't necessarily see that these things are they are tied to the UN at the moment, but they don't need to be. Um, there are a general set of principles that, uh, that the, the community of nations has accepted. You have to follow if you don't want Nazi Germany to happen again, if you don't want uh, the Stalinist gulags to happen again. Um, and okay so we can...
2: you know, kind of with yeah that that kind of with that in mind because i was so intrigued by you talking about you know the international law and during the world war II, uh, they had to contend with uh, germany and hitler this is a global problem problem right now who do we turn to how do we what what um, international courts could we rely on right now to uh, apply this justice as we bring evidence forward uh regarding corrupt individuals such as justin trudeau like how could you put that sort of in layman terms for our viewers as to how that could hopefully be beneficial
1: well it has to be attacked from both ends of the snake one at the tail and one at the head um, the icc has actually got is a we, we signed on the international criminal court stood up and the rome statute uh, came into force in 99 I believe, or 9899 um and, uh, and the Crimes Against Humanity Work Crimes Act of 2000 brought Canada into line with that, um, uh, with the, uh, the Rome Statute. Um, in the, and that kind of includes the previous law that uh, that went along with it. Um, but the International Criminal Court is not completely... Uh, uh, it is, it's toothless in, in that it doesn't have its own enforcement arm. Um, but uh, a bunch of uh, British legal firms and a bunch of UK doctors who have been fighting the... Um, fighting the whole vaccine mandates and that sort of stuff in the UK. Last year, they went through a whole bunch of UK courts trying to get an English court to accept um, their uh, their uh, evidence to, to trigger a criminal investigation in the UK. And eventually, they gave up on the, on the British courts. And they went to the ICC, and they submitted all their evidence to the ICC in early, early December last year. On the 21st of December, they got a note back from the ICC saying, um, this is an interesting case. It's going to take us a bit longer to review the evidence, but uh, rest assured, we are reviewing the evidence. In the first week in January, the ICC came back to these um, to the the complainants in the UK and said, um, "We believe there's enough initial evidence here to justify a criminal investigation." Um, so uh, carry on. Here's here's the whatever they call it, the docket number. Here, here's the case docket number for this case. Um, that was then. A, that then allows, because of all the international agreements, that allows domestic police forces to trigger an investigation without the order of a domestic court. So that's what happened in the UK. So the uh, Hammersmith um, uh, police were, give, were given the evidence. So the Metropolitan Police, so you know, London police is a pretty big police force, um, and, uh, and triggered the investigation. All the, all the forces in the UK were informed of this. And so they're, they've got a tr- criminal investigation ongoing in the UK triggered by the ICC. And, uh, you know, it involves, in, in, in a couple of cases, for example, with the, English, the British Prime Minister and the former uh, health secretary, uh, mass criminal manslaughter and um, gross negligence in public office are two of the potential charges. Uh, so it's not as though there isn't a legal course of action, but it's quite a difficult okay. one to get rolling.
2: Well, this is definitely, I'm feeling very encouraged right now in, in this conversation um, because I know for myself, um, I've spoken about it quite frequently, that I have made many appeals and have met with the Deputy RCMP Commissioner in BC. I have consistently provided them all of the information and evidence. They know that we, uh, well, actually they're named in our statement to claim their defendants. And um, I personally served them the statement of claim uh, here in B.C. against the B.C. and federal government, as well as a 25-page affidavit against our health officer and included our premier health uh, minister, etc. And I understand as well that you've served a notice of liability and taken action um, against the deputy uh, commissioner in Alberta as well. Is that correct?
1: Well, I haven't taken any other further action. I've served them with a notice of liability. Um, and I, I worded it cautiously because I'm a, I'm, I hold the Queen's Commission as does he. Um, and to me, it's like, you know, it, it was worded in the terms, and, and I think I sent you a copy, it's worded in terms of, sir, this is what's happening. This is what the evidence is pointing to. This should be sufficient evidence for you to trigger a criminal investigation and get a court to order the release of additional data in order to confirm or deny the problem. Um, because the problem is probably at the very least uh, mass criminal manslaughter. Um, if not, in certain cases, mm-hmm. if there's uh, knowledge and intent, then it's a, uh, as the international law would call it, intentional killing. Um, and so, um, you know, we've got a problem. Uh, but I mean, I'm not, I'm not I'm not ready to write off the RCMP yet. The problem is, um, as as I've discussed with you and others in other conversations, that um, the standard of evidence required for a criminal investigation to carry on is actually, um, enormous. It's huge. And so I understand the issue that some of mm-hmm. the law enforcement agencies are up against with this because you can't just go off a whim. It's gotta be, there's gotta be significant evidence. Uh, but the other thing is finding a, a, a judge and a crown prosecutor is willing to take on the case. Um, and so, and private prosecutions are kind of hard to get rolling as well, because particularly with something like well, crimes against humanity or war crimes, um, that requires an attorney general, attorney general approval before a prosecution can carry out, be carried out. Um, yes. Now, there is international, uh, there's an international precedent for being able to overrule that if the government to which the attorney general belongs is part of the case. Um, but once again, it's a longer legal process to, to get through that hurdle.
2: Right. And that's what I was finding here is that the RCMP that I'm dealing with consistently came back and said there's actually a higher threshold in B.C. and New Brunswick uh, to meet to um, commence an investigation. And I know that they I am 100 percent convinced that they have enough information to commence an investigation, but then it's going before the crown and having it approved. And and going from there, I said, well, I'm just asking you to commence the investigation, give a file number. And then when you get, uh, you know, further evidence, which they can do wiretapping or fill their boots, whatever they need to, then they can uh, go before and uh, file that information before the crown. So it's been a real frustration. And um, at some point, they're going to have a lot to answer for themselves if they don't start taking action. Um, I find it very interesting in Alberta. Right now we have Pastor Arthur Pulowski in prison. Um, he's considered at this point a persecuted Christian, a political prisoner. Uh, they didn't need a whole lot of evidence to lock him up. And I just find that, you know, on the one hand, they're saying, oh, well, we don't have enough evidence and, you know, we don't you know, have to take it to the crown and, and see. And here they have him in cons- solitary confinement. I've heard that they've arrested his brother Uh, Today we have Tamara locked up in Ontario as a political prisoner as well, and I can't go into detail, but we will—we are working on a a strategy on behalf of Pastor Archer that will hopefully work, and then involve Tamara. But I mean, this is huge, right? It's huge corruption.
1: It is—it is huge, and this is the problem we've got. We've um, got—it's high stakes, and here's the issue: is um, that—and this is part of the problem that a lot of the politicians are in, and even the senior police officers. Um, and this is why I say to them, right, okay, this is your opportunity, right? Um, uh, you can either, you know, get to a stage where you spend much of your life looking over your shoulder from, or, or you know, living in a small village in Uruguay or Vietnam, I'm um, hiding from, you know, justice. Um, or you can be the one that says, you know what, you know, as the question had to be asked of Bruno Day when he was convicted back in uh, 2020, what did you do to stop the human rights violations that were going on around you? Um well, this is the this is the place for those those uh, police officers to build to to build their own defense case. You know, well, yes, my officers were doing X, Y, and Z, but here's what I was doing behind the scenes to stop us, you know, from carrying on. Um, because you're talking about section for for commission officers of the RCMP, for example, you're talking about section six of the Crimes Against Humanity War Crimes Act. It doesn't even matter if they gave the direct order. If a crime against humanity occurs under their command and they did not take reasonable measures to ensure it, yes. that that didn't happen, then they are, still, it, it, they are still liable, legally liable. Same for any military officer yeah. as well, um, mm-hmm. because obviously the opportunity for police and military to commit crimes against humanity is much higher than it is for the average member of the public, which is why that additional part of the law is there.
2: Well, and this is why I'm asking our viewers and everybody possible to uh, appeal to the police and have a record of it, Uh, engage them via email, uh, record conversations with them, because one day they, they may very well be a Bruno Day. It may be uh, seventy years from now, but that they may be held account- accountable for being complicit with the crimes against humanity that are yeah. being committed right now. I can guarantee you that Deputy Commissioner McDonald and Superintendent Blackadar have been extremely well informed on the egregious crimes are, that are being committed. I've I've wept uh, on the phone. I've appealed to them. I've emailed them. I have great. Um, and I've shared this information. I'm not the only one holding this information. you know, some people think in case you go missing they they've covered it, right? But uh, we need to share this information and and have it documented uh, because of yeah. the level of corruption. i I was told the other day about an um, RCMP group there was a, a, a protest, and uh, the RCMP officers were told that global news was present and they wanted uh, global news needed a story. and so they were instructed. To go in and arrest some of the protesters, even though they hadn't been doing anything wrong. One of the RCMP felt forced into this and then he walked away from the job afterwards because morally and ethically he could not, he could not uh, be a party to this. And so I'm hoping that you know, this kind of evidence will be added to what we have in order to uh, uh, appeal to the higher-ups um, on the Day of Judgment. Uh, when we're going to say, look, you, there's going to be connections uh, to you. How long are you going to go along with this? And then just one other thing, I was talking to um, Honorable Peckford. He's going to be our guest next week, Wednesday, everybody. And uh, he's just a delight and so knowledgeable. And, you know, I was saying, you know, what can we do about these RCMP? And what's the what, what could they do? And he said, even to have them resign and say, I will not take place. I will not be a part of this. It's just horrific to sit back and watch.
1: Yeah, I mean, and there's another there's another thing that I think is is an issue is that um, I understand the history of the RCMP. I understand why we have them. You know, they were the Northwest Mounted Police, but they were, you know, the reason the RCMP officer, you know, commissioned officers hold the Queen's Commission is because they were originally a cavalry unit. They were a, a paramilitary mm-hmm. force as opposed to a police force originally. Um, and uh, and so the, I understand why we have that history. It was a, you know, a large country and, you know, it was in its birth pangs, mm-hmm. effectively. Um, but if we go back to the original commonwealth principles of having a local magistrate, um, you know, in the UK they had a Lord Lieutenant and, uh, and also, you know, go all the way back to the late medieval period, they had these uh, effectively a local justice system. They had a local uh, county sheriff um, or, uh, and, and the Americans have taken that all more seriously. They actually took that British tradition that they came out of and wrote it down um, and made it part of their law. And I think that's what we're missing uh if people become too comfortable they think they can rely on central government they think they can rely on these big uh, structures but the problem with large hierarchical structures is they always tend towards corruption it's always the case because anytime you create a large largely unaccountable structure then sociopaths will get to the top of it that's just the nature of things throughout history and so without the appropriate checks and balances that will always happen well there's no check and balance to a national police force like the rcmp um and uh and so, the only you know, in one of, the only solution, one of the solutions is for local councils, county councils, town councils, whatever, whoever has got the RCMP and has contracted them in, is to um, boot them out of the county, sue them for breach of contract because they are, if they are carrying out, for example, assisting health services and closing businesses when there isn't a war and there is no justified military necessity as required by law, mm-hmm. um, then. They're, in, they're breaking the law. They're not enforcing the law. And, and therefore, sue them for breach contract, elect a local police chief, uh, and create your own police force. Uh, set up a court in the yeah. local county offices, and elect a local magistrate, and uh, deal with it locally.
2: Right. It's it's going to be interesting too. What a lot of people don't know, because uh, the government is trying to erase this uh, bit of history. And it's a um, an agreement that is uh, very much alive and active today. And in 1953, Queen Elizabeth signed the coronation oath. And when she signed that oath, she said that Canada would be based on uh, Protestant biblical principles, that it would be governed by biblical principles. And so uh, corrupt governments have tried to bury this. But if we, uh, you know, then take it to the next step where the um, RCMP have taken an oath to the Queen. Well, if they've taken an oath to the Queen, then they've taken an oath to the coronation oath. And that supersedes um, any of these orders our constitution supersedes them because it says anything that is in violation of the uh, constitution is of no force or effect so there's so many things that's why I keep saying we have 100% guaranteed rights i brought it to the rcmp's uh, attention that what they're doing is in violation that they took if they took the oath to the queen then they definitely took the oath to the coronation oath and um, even something as simple as work people would Uh, you know we're saying that you have the right to life liberty and security of the person which means you have the right to work and bodily autonomy but if we go to the coronation oath and it's based on biblical principles the the bible is filled with scripture about working and that you know you rest on the seventh day and that you're not going to eat if you're not working etc so i mean even if we go back to the oath what they're doing is in violation of the rights of citizens by trying to uh you know close down their workplace just as an example but you know what, um, Stuart, let's get to, I know that there's people that have some questions and if you wanna raise your hand, we're, we're gonna bring you on, Terenzi will bring you on. And while we're getting that set up, Stuart, can I just ask you, I have not had a chance to follow what Reiner Fulmick is doing. In uh, the spring, sorry, in the fall of 2020, one of their lawyers got a hold of me after I had just launched the legal action with Rocco, which we are proceeding with. Yes, Rocco is recovering everyone and he is getting better. Uh, We have an adjournment to uh, a court date in April just to give you an update. And we are proceeding. Some of you may have heard that Colvinder Gill, that her, her case was thrown out. They are appealing that case. Uh, Just because a corrupt judge judge makes a decision does not mean they're going to roll over to that. So be encouraged. Uh, Our court case is not a sprint. This is a marathon. This is going the distance on a constitutional level, which will eventually turn into holding these uh, individuals to account. So back to Reiner Fulmink, do you have any comments on uh, what's proceeding with him?
1: Well, again, it's a marathon. Um, I've been following his work for quite a while, um, summer of 2020, pretty much when they, when they formed their committee, started doing the interviews. I mean, the stuff that's come out is, um, well, in, in many respects, there's lots of people who are ignorant of the science, um, in our governments and everything else. But at the very least, it's mass criminal manslaughter. And in, in specific cases, it's mass murder. Um, and I think the evidence is pretty damning, um. But the, the issue is getting the evidence out there and building the public, uh, inertia, the inertia in the public to force the law enforcement agencies of various countries to start acting. And it'll be a domino effect. Once things start to fall, they're going to start falling. Um, but it's, it's getting that initial push going because there's, there's a whole lot of politicians, a whole lot of um, public sector bureaucrats, um, law enforcement, uh, individuals, et cetera, who are going to go to prison, um one way or the other. And, uh, and so they're going to fight back and they're going to hang on the, as much as they can. And so, you know, it's the standard thing. When you're dealing with embedded corruption, there's no, there's no mm-hmm. easy way out of it. There's, it's a long fight. Uh, and people need to be prepared for that. You know, we, we can't just say, oh, well, they've lifted some restrictions. Let's just all breathe easy. The reality is until these people are in prison, they're in a place to be able to come back and do it again and do it worse, right? And it doesn't take very yeah. much from being willing to let people die Um, from some medical intervention to saying, you know what, let's just march them all into a corner and shoot them. It's a very, very small step. And I don't think people realize how small that step is. Um, Bosnia went sideways in about six weeks. So we have to be very cautious. Keep Keep our eye on the ball. Don't get distracted by Eastern Europe or anything else. Concentrate.
2: Right. Yeah, I find that quite interesting as all the Pfizer news is coming out and, uh, you know, there's pressure on leadership. Trudeau, you know, lost a lot when when he had to uh, uh, reverse things as far as the Emergency Act is concerned because, in a, in a sense, he blinked. He could see that he wasn't having the support in the Senate and then uh, the banks weren't ready to go to digital ID and and so people were pulling their money out of the banks and they were panicking. And, uh, but that just means that, you know, they're going to put a pause, they're going to try to prolong this as they continue to try to get everything set up just so so that citizens are forced into, uh, you know, the social credit system and and the ID. Um, Yeah, so I don't see them wanting to back off easily. Um, And so it's just going to be that chipping away, being persistent and consistent, and not giving up. And so, some of you here today showed up and I could see by some of the comments that you felt like you all, it's corrupt and they're winning anyways, but we still have good judges in place. The judge that ruled on this part of the mother. um, There are some things where we've got to expose the bad judges. We have publicly got to expose them because it's going to give other judges the idea. Do I really want to be in violation of the bench and, and the oath that I took? Uh, We want people to know them in public places. I'm not talking about doxing them. I'm not talking uh, about going to their homes. I'm not talking about anything illegal. They don't mind taking someone like Archer Pulowski and making an example of him, making libelous and defamatory comments so that he has a hard time in public. But let's talk about your corruption. Let's talk about legitimate corruption and see how you feel when you're out in the grocery store or at the bank and people actually know who you are and what you've done. I think this is part of it is exposing the individual as well. Um, Anyways, okay, Terenzio, if there's somebody ready for a question, I'd love to bring them on.
3: Yeah, we're ready. Uh, And for anybody else who would like to ask a question, please raise your hands virtually and we'll make sure we put you in the queue. First, we have Randall.
4: Well, thanks very much for having me. Hello, Tanya. Good to see you again. Uh, Good to be back from Ottawa and all the insanity that went on there. Um, I guess Um, I have to say, as much as I want to be very positive on this, um, Stuart, my um, big concern, uh, I guess, in this is that unlike um, the Nuremberg trial, there were a host of countries that were willing to stand up for the rule of law. Now that we've got a global agenda with the World Economic Forum and and the the New World Order, so to speak, that this really is a global agenda um, that, there's no cavalry coming to save any one nation legally and having talked and I, I, I'm in the process of making a documentary on, on all of this. And so some of this, I have to be careful what I say um, in light of that until a lot of these things come out, but um, it was very troubling to hear um, candid conversations from both politicians and people in law enforcement on the total disregard of law and that they really don't feel that there's going to be any accountability given to any of them. And they're just going to basically bulldoze their way through this, whether you like it or not. It's like, we know what we're doing is illegal, but we don't care. And there's nothing you can do about it. And um, that's very disturbing when that's coming from your the, the people in parliament that are there to protect you and from law enforcement that are there to protect and serve. Um, I guess my question to you is, what can we do legally now, being that we don't have an international court as we did in 1946 or whatever, when the Nuremberg trials and stuff um, allowed for such a thing? What do we do now when basically we've got a, a corrupt global government?
1: Well, centralization is the problem. Um, so for, for individuals, um, you can find your local counselor. Um, and take it from there. Uh, put the pressure on them. You know, literally tell them to fire the RCMP if the RCMP aren't enforcing the law, and replace them. Replace them with law enforcement that will. And that might only count, cover your county or your city or your town or whatever. But that's—it's got to start somewhere. Um, it's not as though we haven't been up against something like this before. We have. Uh, uh, and and the other thing is, you know, there's lots of things they the the Nazi regime didn't think that they were going to be held accountable. Um, in 1943, they thought they were on top of the world. They had the world's best army at the time. And, uh, two years later, they've been crushed. Um, and, uh, that's, you know, that, you know, these things can turn quickly. Now, the, the thing that I, the other thing I'd like people to pay attention to is look at the Romanian example at the end of the cold war, uh, the end of Ceausescu's regime. Um, it looked as though he was unstoppable and uh, um, the secret police in Romania had control over things and it looked as though the rebellion was going to be crushed. Um, but people kept at it and it, in literally in a two week period it turned. And the reason it turned was um, one Romanian army general decided enough's enough. I got to stand with the people and he was executed. And then three more turned and the whole thing turned. And, that's all that's required because got, you're going to have people out there, senior senior police officers, senior military officers, or whatever, who are going, which side of history do I want to go down on? Um, you know, especially the military guys. I mean, we were all willing, I was, still am willing to risk my neck to protect my community um, and, uh, and take a bullet for my neighbor. And you've got a senior military officer. There's got to be a lot of them that still have that in them. And they're like, well, yeah. If I turn around, what, what's the worst they can do to me? The worst they can do is kill me. Well, big deal. I've been willing to live with that for the last 25, 30 years of my career. So what's new? Um, it doesn't matter who's shooting at you. It doesn't matter if it's the guy next to you or the guy across from you. So um, all, you, all, all we have to do is keep the pressure up so that these guys that are in there know what we're right and wrong is, have the, um, realize that they have the support. If they turn and support the public, um that they'll that they've got a significant amount of the public you just do the math on the the convoy across canada um and i look at the northern ireland example um if you take if you take an example of how many people are willing to get involved physically involved in something like a protest or some sort of civil action and then you calculate the number of people that are supporting it in the background and the number of people who will agree with that um even if they're not physically you know supporting it in some way um you have between uh 10 and 15 million Canadians behind that, pro- behind that co- protest. Canada only has 36, mm-hmm. 37 million people, whatever it is. That's a significant, I mean, that's not a fringe minority. That's huge. Um, and It's uh, huge. And so <laughs> it's huge. And so if you realize yeah. those are the actual numbers, you know, 10 million is way more than that, that required to make a significant change in a society. Um, so there's gotta be someone somewhere who is looking at that and going, if I provide the leadership, that's an unstoppable force. And that's all it'll take.
2: Yeah, you know, Stuart, I appreciate you so much. Um, You are, we've talked about just before coming on about being a warrior. Uh, What's the word for the day and warrior? And uh, we so much appreciate your service to Canada and your willingness to serve further. And so many, I believe, men are rising up in the nation. They've been emasculated for uh, decades right now, because the government didn't want them to be able to fight at such a time as this. But I want Canadians to be encouraged. There are strong men in this nation. And I think the truckers um, were tremendous in, in pulling out that manhood and so many men, men that had been told to be silent. And then we've got our military and police officers taking a stand as well. And, and I think that you may not even realize the ripple effect that your courage, I always say courage is contagious. And and I'm just feeling that sense of um, hope and encouragement from the words that you're speaking right now.
1: Can I, can I just add a bit to that? First off is, and I've reminded a bunch of veterans of this and I put a video out um, about warrior code, right? Um, Not everyone believes this, but the predominantly people understand what I'm talking about. Um, a true warrior fights not because he hates what's in front of him, but because, he's protect- because he loves what's behind him. And mm-hmm. it's all about the heart. It's about the motivation behind it. And the other thing to remember in terms of the numbers and, how, and looking to feed it, in 1936, when the Germans passed the Nuremberg Laws that effectively defined various people as being untermensch um, and uh, subhumans, um, there were only six parliamentarians in the British Parliament that were willing to take a stand and say, we need to stop this, six. Churchill was one of them, and there were five others out of however many MPs there were in British Parliament. He was an aristocrat who turned on his aristocratic, you know, everyone around him. The British aristocracy supported fascism, not so much national socialism, but they were certainly supportive of fascism in Italy. But one one aristocrat, and actually there were a couple, but six MPs managed to galvanize the working class of England and, you know, nearly f- just about just shy of four years later, he was the prime minister and he was leading a nation in the defense of the world. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, don't, don't look at the numbers on the service and believe that that's the numbers. There's a lot of people out there and all you need is that right. couple, a couple of leaders to stand up and you've got an enormous force. I'm not saying it's going to be easy and I'm not saying there isn't going to be a fight because the, you know, evil has never backed off just because it went, got scared. But, um, but yeah, there's a, uh, Yeah, get out there. Find that leader.
3: Uh, Stuart, what's the name of that video? Sorry? I was just going to say, what's the name of that video on Rumble? Uh, Which one's that? Uh, You mentioned that there was a video that you put out on Rumble. I was just going to... Oh, yeah,
1: it's on my Rumble channel. It's um, a message to veterans.
2: Message to veterans. Okay, I was going to say as well, Terenzu, if you just wanted to bring up uh, um, Stuart's Rumble page right now on his website for a moment so that everybody can take note of it. All right. Real Canadian Liberal. Look uh Stewart up on Rumble and follow him. There's the one a message to veterans, and then do you have his website available as well? Transzio?: Yes. We just want people following Stuart. There we go. Okay. I don't see the link to this. Sheila, are are you able to post that?:
1: I'm also a local that
2: well. in the chat. No. Say again.
1: The most one. I've got a page on locals.com as well. Um, and I, I don't keep it up to date as quickly as the Rumble channel, but I do post some stuff up there. So if someone wants to log in there and they just want to find a, the resources, they can do that. If so.
3: you look under Stewart's name, I put all the information there for you.
2: Okay. And, and Stuart is obviously somebody worth following. And Stuart, I just, even from what you just said, I'm sure that everybody feels super encouraged. And this is where it goes back again, everyone, to the strategy and platform that Action for Canada is providing Canadians, where you can be involved in a chapter. And then you build community and you decide who's going to get elected and run. And we put everything behind them. Like the school trustees, this can be done. Everybody's worried, oh, you? well, you know what? I think they're, the elections are corrupted. And and we're seeing that if there is a force behind somebody getting elected, those numbers cannot, uh, they can't lie about those numbers. And so we're going to work real hard. So be a part of that and um, as well for the leadership. And then I love this about the mayors. I didn't think about that surrey was going to get rid of the rcmp we got a crazy mayor who's a globalist and on with the un and uh, so we were like concerned well that's going to cost a lot of money to change it over but now actually as you've spoken uh, about that that's the first time a a light bulb came on and thinking that's a good thing only if they're replacing them with great police right (laughs) that support the uh support
3: canadians next question we have is from daryl spears well thank you so much and uh Thank you, Stuart, for your service to Canada and for coming on the show. Um, I was a little confused earlier when we were talking about the Nuremberg Code. I got the impression by what you said that this is really an optional code to live by. Did I understand that wrong?
1: Yeah, it's not optional. It just has a different category. The Nuremberg Code would, would be what we call uh, customary international law um, as opposed to conventional international law. Um, uh, But, for example, if you go to Article 7 of the ICCPR, which prohibits uh, coercive involvement in a medical or scientific experiment, um, the definition of what free and informed consent is, is held in the Nuremberg Code. So you wouldn't, someone wouldn't be charged under the Nuremberg Code, they'd be charged under Article 7 of the ICCPR, but the definition of what, um, what constitutes free and informed consent is actually out of the Nuremberg Code so they both work together so it is it's it's customary international law and if you read um section 1 of the crimes against humanity and war crimes act and and uh and section 1 to four, 1 to 7 uh you'll find reference to both conventional and customary international law so they they are both canadian law
3: Thank you, Daryl. I'm so pleased and happy
2: to do it. We have a huge team here that's uh, behind me on this and across Canada. And thank you to everybody that is rising up and serving notices of liability and being active. So thank you to you as well, Daryl. Okay, next, uh, next, uh, Terenzio.
3: Yep, next we have Ken Butler. Ken, are you there? took me a minute to find out how
5: to get all these buttons unmuted. No problem. Uh, Before I ask my question, I'd just like to make a comment about the RCMP, where uh, Lucky, the uh, superintendent, it was in the media the other day, uh, pulling Nazi tactics, asking Canadians to uh, snitch on other Canadians if they feel that somebody has posted an anti-government or an anti-police uh, comment in social media. And I think that's just showing that the RCMP is not about the people at all. It's just an extension of the government. and with the way our Prime Minister and the Liberals are acting right now, uh, it's no wonder the military didn't come in to step up against the uh, terrorist police when they were acting out on the people at Ottawa, uh, especially when they were arresting veterans at the war memorial, which was totally disgusting. The whole world got to witness. I'd ask, like to ask you, Stuart, um, what can we do to get the courts to recognize our right to hold common law court. There doesn't seem to be any remedy for people in the legal world, because we're not a member of their bar society. And we have a right to, to use our public courts, but they always seem to deny us that right. What can we do to change that?
1: I don't think you're gonna get anything from the legal system. And I call it the legal system specifically, we call it the justice system, but it's not. Um, and this is where I think you need to work through your local councils, whether it's a county council or city council or a town council. Um, and you're not going to be able to make this happen in all of them because obviously a lot of them don't understand this, but it's the domino effect. We need to get some going, and there are a few rural councils that will actually consider this. We have a couple local cities that have their own police forces that want nothing to do with all this sort of stuff. Uh, One of them local to me, uh, the city police force, has no time for any of this stuff, Um, but they're a very small force of only 20, 25 officers or something. But the point being, um, that's how you do it, is you get the local council to just make it happen. I mean, people say, oh, we can't do this, we can't do that. I'm, I'm tired of people saying, oh, I can't, I can't. Just do it. Um, if a bunch of councillors turn around and sue for breach of contract and form their own police force and then hold a local county election to local, elect a local magistrate and just set up a courtroom in the county offices, then yeah, you're going to get lots of, you know, the press are going to be after you and everything else, but just make it happen. But if you do it through the local council, that is, that is you know, if you talk about the doctrinal lesser magistrates or something like that, you know, uh, um, getting local government to stand up for the people that, represent, that they represent, um, that's the that's the way you do it. Um, and they're going to say... Yeah, I mean, the problem we've got is and uh, I'm quite cautious about the use of the word liberals because they're not actually liberals, they're socialists. Um, the, um, hence the, the, the name of my website. Um, um, Abraham Lincoln was a, was a liberal um, in the proper sense. The difference being um, there's a bunch of people out there, they've been led to believe that humans have no intrinsic value. That's the, fun, that's the foundational idea behind socialism. Therefore, they only gain value through the membership of some group tribe, you know, ethno-nationalist identity, whatever it happens to be. Um, And that's the problem. And we need to start rattling some cages because there's a lot of people who are sucked into that who don't actually believe it, including people who are in government. If you actually poke at them, they go, no, no, I actually have intrinsic value. Well, if you have intrinsic value, then so does everyone else around you, and you better start acting like it. And your job is to protect everyone else. You have to treat them, your local constituents, like they have some value. And part of that is providing them with the service of being able to have a justice system that delivers justice. Um, But like I say, all this stuff comes with a fight. And it's probably not going to happen in the big centers first. In fact, that's the last place it's going to happen. But it doesn't mean you shouldn't try. And it doesn't mean you shouldn't support those in rural communities that might be able to make it happen much faster. Um, And if necessary, and if you've got the means move to a local rural community and add your voice and become one of the ones that changes that. I mean, not everyone's got the ability to do that either, but if you do have that opportunity, then I, would encourage anyone to do it because uh, we've got civilization safe.
3: Save. Excellent. Well, thanks so much. Thank you, Ken. Next question. We have Genevieve. Genevieve, are you there?
6: I am. And my question is, what about going after George Soros for war crimes? He was, uh, in the uh, concentration camps with the Jews, and he admits it openly. And the second thing is I'm disappointed in the armed forces because with the passage of Bill C-4, it was obvious that our governments are no longer running the country and we have been taken over by a foreign ent- ent- entity and the armed forces did nothing to protect the country. Could you comment on that?
1: Yeah. Well. Well, first one, first issue is the George Soros issue. Um yeah, he was uh as a as a teenager, he was um he was actually he wasn't in the camps. He was involved in uh in stripping out the homes of Jews who had been sent mm-hmm. off by the Hungarian uh authorities off to the camps. Um he's not a he's a nasty character. Uh getting at him might be a bit a little bit difficult. That's part of the problem is a lot of the a lot of the perpetrators behind this. Uh, it's gonna take a bit of effort to get at them. And um you know, I'll go back to Jordan Peterson's thing about cleaning your own room. Um, we need to clean our own room first. And yes, he's a threat because he's got a long screwdriver and the money to cause trouble. But um, if we concentrate on sorting out our own local communities first and our provinces first, then we can get to that later on. Easier said than done, I'm aware. But that's, what, that's the only way we can do it. Um, in terms of the forces, I'm disappointed as well. I'm a commission officer of the Crown, and I am – I'm – I'm embarrassed, uh, be perfectly honest. Um, the Queens commission means something to me, um, and, uh, goes all the way back to the new model army, which replaced the barons, uh, in the 16th, 17th centuries. And, um, and, uh, there's an expectation of military leadership to stand in when the rule of law breaks down, uh, and parliament and the crown are unwilling to, to, uh, enforce it. Then, then there is a, um, there's a moral implication or a moral uh, requirement of, uh, of commission officers to, to stand up and act and they haven't done. Um, and uh, that's kind of a disgrace to the commission. Um, so I, I share your disappointment. That being said, uh, I'm pretty sure because I know a bunch of guys who are still serving, um, that there are a lot of people, a lot of guys in the military who don't agree with what's going on. Um, part of it is for, for them is to figure out how to deal with it. It's not, it's not an easy problem to solve. And so I understand where they're, where they keep playing their their cards pretty close to their chest. Um, and that's necessary, because um, otherwise you just end up throwing yourself on the chopping block.
6: Can the people stand up or support them somehow that they would turn around and, and do something?
1: Yeah, that's exactly what the truckers did. What, the, what, what people need to do is keep at it, right? change of tactics, change of strategy, perhaps. Um, but people need to get out there and just speak, the, speak the truth, get out there, be loud, be in, in the face of, of the authorities and be, be relentless. This could be a years long issue. We just need to stay at it. And if we don't stay at it, our children are going to grow up in a fascist tyranny. And i I use the term advisedly, what we're dealing with is fascism, not, not communism, is that, that is a confusion that people run into um it is a it is it's a global fascist ideology and we need to stand up and if people stand up then those guys that are in the military if they have the opportunity to present themselves they know they then have the support um and it might be even a regional thing um that an officer says right enough's enough forms up his troops because let's face it anyone below the rank of sergeant is on the side of the people that's just the way it is yeah um and uh you know if you had a, a full colonel or a brigadier stand up in front of his troops and say right I'm sick and tired of the intrinsic and alienable human rights of Canadians being violated. Um, it's not happening in this province or that province anymore, and we're going to do what we can to stop it. Who's with me? I guarantee you everyone will stand forward. I mean, and uh, those, that, those that don't want to stand forward will probably stand forward anyway because they'll suddenly realize that the whole everyone else is um, going that direction. It just takes strong leadership, and it takes the right opportunity, and the way the public can support them is just to show how many, just to make sure that those guys understand what numbers are behind them. Okay. If they, when they do have the opportunity to do something, that they've got the public support, and they will do.
3: All right, Genevieve, thank you for your question. Next, we have Bambi Smith.
2: I was going to say, as Bambi's coming on and you're sorting that out, this is one reason as well what Stuart was just saying. It is absolutely essential, so important that you continue to get out there and rally every weekend. I know everybody wants their Saturday to themselves, but the public display shows the support and we need it to grow. All right, Bambi, are you on? Hello there.
7: There you are. Hi, can you hear me? Yes. Hi there. I'm not sure Tanya and Stuart thank you so much for being here obviously we love you both Um, I don't know that my question is really pertinent to Stuart uh, this evening but I've been having some trouble regarding the long-term care home that my mom is in Um, and again if you don't want me to ask it here I can certainly email but um, I'm not with a chapter right now my mom does have an appointment next week I have not served any notice of liability obviously I do not want to get an RAT or PCR swab going in there I've not Seen her for months. If she does come out for an appointment, they will make her have a rapid test or a PCR test going back in. Um, we know how bad they are. I just, I don't know whether to reach out to a lawyer even at that point. Um, You could get bad legal advice. Is it a human rights lawyer? Like, where are we at? There's probably not any, um, you know, class action suit or anything happening. I know there's, you know, your organization, Tanya, as well as Stand for Thee. I've um, before reached out to Suzanne Coles um, from from Ontario. But I'm just at a loss, and it it kills me that I can't see my mom. And I apologize if it's not at this time. I should really be asking this.
1: Yeah, the whole... The whole thing is asinine. I, I honestly wouldn't know which type of lawyer to go and talk to. Um I would say at the very reach out to lawyer's to, Lawyers for Truth or the um or uh you know Center for Constitutional Freedoms in Calgary or or any of these organizations. Um there are lots of lawyers out there that might be able to give you, you know, even the 10 minutes of advice that, you know, to, to point you in the right direction who to talk to. Um uh, this is this is a problem that we've got. Um, unfortunately, we've got victims, and this is the reality that people need, that, that the government is going to have to face up to, and all of these people who have perpetrated this are going to face it. Um, mm-hmm. Someone who can't see their mother—that's—it's um, it, asinine. It's just not evil. We we. So the question is the question is I mean, some people are in a situation where you could possibly move them, um, and if that is an option, I would seriously consider moving them. Um, I
7: would love to. She's 93 with Alzheimer's dementia. This is her home mm-hmm. of the last eight years. She pays yeah. for it. That's what's, you know, the hard part, especially what's going on in the world. I mean, if I bring her out, that could kill her. Sorry. sorry. Um, so Gambi, have you served the notice of liability that we have available to these individuals? I have not, like, I don't know which notice to serve because number okay. one, I mean, okay. I don't want the PCR testing done on me. I don't want it done on her. Okay. Um, they won't even let me in because I'm not jabbed. Right. Okay. So, so you're, an, my you're only in Ontario.
2: Option. Is that correct? You're in Ontario. I am. All right. So one, uh, Sheila, Sheila will provide you the notices of liability. We've actually had, I was on, um, an Odessa show where uh, two different women had used our notices of liability to get into a care home, and they were used successfully. So first, you have to take those steps. We've got the uh, COVID-19 testing notice of liability. Uh, these are indictable offences. We've got the drop the mic letter for you to provide. You've got to take those steps first. Those steps first. And then if you want to consult um, a lawyer, I would suggest you do that to at least be able to tell them, look, I've consulted a lawyer. I'm ready to proceed. What you're doing is unlawful. This is all falling apart as far as uh, Doug Ford is concerned. And uh, let's hear an update from you once you've taken those steps.
7: And then just quickly, too, back to the notice of liability, that's fine for the PCR test and the um, rapid antigen testing. But I mean, even to wear a mask or face shielding, I when I did go in there, say, last November or whenever it was, um, you know, I felt discriminated against. I mean, the ones that are jabbed two or three or four times now there. I mean, my mom's worse off being in there around all those people that are shedding that have had three and four, right? And yes. I don't even want to wear a mask or the shield going in there. So which notice, do I put all notices of liability at the same time when I try to go in there, you know, the the additional letter that goes with the notices of liability, Sheila will provide it for you. That one is the
2: greatest one. Uh, I wish I'd come up with it first because it covers everything. It covers our constitutional rights. It covers the facts that uh, the very fact that as of 1996, this has never been amended, that the uh, Health Canada Agency has said that vaccine, vaccination is not mandatory in Canada and cannot be made mandatory because of the constitution. I call it the drop the mic letter because every point that I've made in that um, in that document should be the end of this conversation. Plus there's Supreme Court rulings in there. So we're gonna go on to the next question and we'll look forward to an update from you in the future, Bambi. All right. Thank you
7: for the best. Thanks again.
0: And I'll just let you know, I had already put that in for uh, Bambi in the Q&A. Okay. So, yes. Yep. Um, you can reach out right. to me if she
7: can. Thanks fine. very much, Sheila. Thanks,
3: everyone. Thank you, Bambi. Next you.
2: question. All right. We'll question. do a couple more questions here. We're on a sure. marathon now. Let's, we're going to try to move th- through these a little quicker because I think there's about nine questions to go. So let's yes. do
3: this. All right. Let's... let's do this. Next question is from Toril Meyer. Toril, are you there? I am. All right. So,
2: yeah, I'm in Calgary, Alberta, and uh, I'm in. I'm part of a group of mums who are doing everything we can to help out. And on the weekend, I was at a coffee shop, and the owner told us her horror story of HS's representative literally spying on her and threatening her. Uh, throughout, So she's done her work at having some information, but it brought to light what I want to do, and that's to be able to empower businesses, how they can stand up to AHS when they show up. Well, we've got great resources for that, Terrell. Like, I'm hoping that you come (laughs) to our uh, business resource page. Uh, We've been doing it successfully here in BC, and we tell a business, we uh, describe to them exactly what the rights are and the resources to use. So if an AHA officer comes in and say, I always say their name is Bob Smith, we're not going uh, with their position for the organization or company they work for. We just go Bob Smith. And then there is a notice of liability for business owners to serve them and uh, that lets them know that they're interfering with their guaranteed right to work and that for any loss of income or any loss that they suffer or their staff suffer, they're going to hold them personally accountable. So that means Bob Smith doesn't have the protection of AHS because we're going after them criminally because they're using extortion and intimidation and coercion. And nobody has a right to do that. That's actually against the law in Canada. And uh, that's why we're using David Lindsay to go to the next step. And once they've got their evidence together is uh, bypassing the police and going straight to the crown and uh, laying criminal charges. And uh, that's commencing right now across Canada. Whether it works or not is we're going after the low-hanging fruit. If you'll see today in Alberta a a, um, CTV, sorry, City News uh, report came out and a lawyer came on saying there's going to be major severance cases and that the employers, uh, the employees have a very good case. Kenny comes on and he says, well, you know, these employers were never forced to vaccinate uh, their employees. They, they had other options. They could have put them on, uh, you know, work from home or uh, uh, do testing which we know is a complete lie. We know that the government has been applying a great deal of uh, pressure to businesses to comply with their unlawful orders. They were counting on them being the pawns to do this. And so that's why we're going after citizen after citizen right now. We're not going after AHS or, um, you know, the, uh, um, how can I say, the health officers. We're going after the fellow citizens who, like this uh, Bruno Day. Decided not to do the right thing, turn a blind eye, and go along to get along while what he was doing was inhumane and unlawful. Okay, so get onto our business page. Sheila will give you the link, or Jenny will. And then I, I just ask you we've got all the resources, we've got videos we've done, we've done this extensively. So get your team involved, join the business team, and come and join us so that you. And we've got business resources. We've actually got a boots on the ground business team. Contact Kim McBride in Calgary. She's our chapter leader. She has all the resources and she is a powerhouse. We need people going to the businesses. Your team would be great. All right, Terenzio, next question.
3: All right, next question. We have Jane. Jane, are you with us?
6: Yes, I'm here.
3: All right, you're oh. up. Three minutes.
6: Um, yeah, I, I, wa- I want to jump in actually um, just listening to Genevieve. Um, actually, I just wanted to say that um, my, my father was in a long-term care facility. Same, same restrictions. Uh, I hesitated too long. My, my father came down with uh, um, major acute renal failure, and he had, he had the classic symptoms. Um, what they did is they gave him a PCR test and it came back positive and I asked them why on earth they did that but um, and what good that did for him. But uh, so when I finally saw my dad, I was hesitating because of the restrictions. And when I, I ended up seeing him, he was, he was, they, they went through the whole thing again with the restrictions um, and they locked the doors usually. So you have to make an appointment to see them. I just barged right through and uh, found out that my dad was comatose. So it was the last time I saw my dad. So, um, and then when my dad passed away the next day, um, they, they said um, that he was like it it was COVID. on the death certificate it was covid. Yeah. So I said then he's going to have to have an autopsy. Um but then they they made it pneumonia instead. So I think after the fact I'm probably going to see if I can, if I can um you know have action against I'm that. I'm so
2: sorry to hear about your dad and and uh these are the egregious crimes against humanity that we're talking about. It's all been so unnecessary and they've treated our elderly worse than prisoners in, in, uh, who have committed heinous crimes. And uh, so what's your, what's your question?
6: My question is, what can we do? Um, like we had the, the coots, um, we have actually someone in the family that went to coots and, um, they actually, the media misreported what happened. Um, it was a horrific story what happened there. So that's another issue, but, um, the media misreported it. What can we do for, um, Uh, the media um, to make them accountable for what they're doing because they're also implicit in this.
1: Uh, I would, I'd start writing, writing your own notices of liability and going after the media as well. And when I say writing your own, because there's a whole loads of whole lot of law you can go after them. But the reality is the media are not, um, they don't have any uh, liability exemptions or anything else for what they're doing. If you are misrepresenting things and scaring people and everything else, that falls under, falls under the Canadian Criminal Code 83.01, which is terrorism, uh, because it's an ideologically motivated um, act of giving, putting people in, in fear or what have you. Um, and uh, so go lay charges, or at least serve an liability. There's no corporate liability for any of these things. It's all individual liability. Mm-hmm. So it's the editor that makes the decision. It's the reporter who puts out the report, et cetera. It's their personal liability. We just need to go after them and hold them accountable. Uh, and, and we've got to be willing to be aggressive. You know, pa- you know rabbits are passive, but everything eats them. Um, we, we, need, we need people to, to go out and be willing to get in their face. You cannot be good unless you're willing to, to, to fight. Um, sitting back and letting people get abused doesn't work. So, um, yeah, I mean, this is the thing. There's lots of canned notice of liabilities, but, if you go into the criminal code um, and go after them for they are, and you just serve them in the liability, right? this is the liability you could serve mm-hmm. ten years in prison, your choice, and I'm going to come after you, yeah, build a team and go after them
2: yeah, I was going to add that I was going to add, Jane, that we do have a notice of liability that I launched back in in the fall. And uh, we bring the criminal code into that and the violations, and we bring in uh, what their duties are as, uh, as, uh, in ethics as far as reporting is concerned. And so, it, like uh, Stuart has said, you go after the editor, you go after the reporter. We have it where you, you can um, um, list the article. So that and, and we, you have to copy this, you have to record it, you have to make sure that you're securing it as evidence. And the more we push back with this, the more intimidated and concerned those reporters have to be. And I believe that, you know, is why some of them are actually starting to come forward and step down. All right. Thank you T-Trenzio, for that, too. OK, next question.
3: All right. Next question. We have Paul. Paul, are you with us?
1: I, uh, no,
5: my my question was. Uh, 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 by the way, thank you for doing all you do. It's just amazing. I'm so glad that you you're pre- you're presenting this platform. My question basically is actually about the viability of um, of the Nuremberg Code. I've been getting some legals uh, suggesting that the Nuremberg Code uh, Canada never never bought in the Nuremberg Code or the Geneva Convention. So I, I just want your views on that, if you would.
1: Canada is not only a signature to the Geneva Convention, we signed it, but um, we're bound by the Nuremberg Code because Canada was one of the countries that wrote it. Um, and so uh, there's a principle in international law that if a nation writes a piece, is, is participant in writing a piece of international legislation, they are automatically bound by it. So the Nuremberg Charter and the Nuremberg Code, Canada played an active role in writing it and therefore... They are, we are automatically bound by it for as long as it exists.
5: Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that because I've been getting this kickback a little bit from, uh, from different legal people. Uh, anyway, that, that's, that's it. That's my question, and uh, thank you for that information.
3: Yeah. All right, thank you. Yeah, next,
6: that's a great answer.
3: Next question we have uh, from Ken Van D. Burke. I'm so sorry if I didn't pronounce that right. Ken, are you, there, are you with us? My
1: question is, uh, is there anyone actually preparing a case against Trudeau or any other politician on a criminal charge under the Crimes Against Humanity and War Crimes Act that you're talking about? And uh, the second part to that question, is there anybody, any way to crowdfund for that or participate in crowdfunding for that? Uh, less than about crowdfunding, the better these days, it seems. Um, there is... There is actually a group that is working on something now. It's not going directly towards the prime minister. It'll be going towards provincial authorities initially, uh, because uh, but the, because the data is specific to to one of the provinces. Um, and uh, and so right now we've got uh, data analysts um, in South Africa, Germany, and in Canada working on a, on some data that was released um, that that should show. Uh, sufficient evidence of, uh, at the very least, um, gross criminal negligence um, and perhaps gross criminal manslaughter uh, to be able to go after provincial authorities. Now, the advantage is that there's a statute under the Food and Drug Act that requires all the provincial health authorities to collect the same data. So if you prove that one province has got the data, then you've automatically proven that all of them have. And therefore, you can go after everybody. Not only that, that data has to be sent to the federal health minister on a daily basis, or at least recorded for the health minister on a daily basis. I'm not too sure on the statute there. So the point is yes, but indirectly. Um, and the people working on it at the moment are, uh, at the mostly former police, um, and military, but a couple that are currently, um, uh, you know, active members that are having to keep their heads down for obvious reasons at the moment. Um, but, uh, We'll see where that goes. I'm hoping that we get something viable going in the next two or three weeks.
3: All right, okay, Maybe
2: we'll ask uh, one more one more question. Let's have one more question, then we'll wrap this up.
8: Thank All you, right. Stuart, for your time.
3: Thank you, Stuart. Next, we have Tony Wells. Tony, are you there?
8: I am here. Um, just out of curiosity, um, I was just in Ottawa and um, had been working with a few of the truckers and a few of our um, people that were down there that had their vehicles um, towed, uh, smashed, bumpers ripped off, license plates ripped off, um, just treated horribly. Then of course had to pay the impound fee um, along with um, a ridiculous amount of everything else. So I'm looking to see how I can help uh, the truckers, um, and we have quite a few residents that had their vehicles impounded, had to pay extraordinary compounding fees. Vehicles were damaged, uh, windows broken, their ID, their passports, their bank cards were all locked in these compounds. Some of them were on the streets for seven days um, trying to find housing for themselves and for children. Um, so I'm looking for some way to help them or guide them on who we can hold accountable um, for basically putting their lives in danger and taking away any sust- uh, ability to sustain themselves for the time that they compounded their vehicles.
1: That's going to be a long battle unfortunately um, you know this th- this is the thing you know it's like Winston Churchill gave a speech to the to the entire world back in nineteen uh, 39 and he basically says i can't promise anything but blood sweat toil and tears and words to that effect um unfortunately that's where we're at um and uh and so local community is the place to help them first and foremost um we've got groups forming all over canada um county groups town groups city groups church groups whatever that are pulling together they're they're, they're pulling together resources and i'm talking about skill sets and that sort of stuff not just you know Um, physical resources um, to be able to support each other so uh, the best thing to do um, is to is to try and find out where these you know where these guys and gals whoever they are Ottawa wherever they're at um, find out where they where their local freedom group is whoever can support them get them in there and get people to start helping them out Um, repairs can be done you know there are mechanics out there who support them there are you know other people, suppliers that can perhaps give them wholesale discounts on replacement parts, all that sort of thing. Now that doesn't solve all the problems, obviously, but it gets it gets people back on their feet and helps get them going. Uh, and then it's then it's a case of finding the right aggressive, tenacious bulldog type lawyers to go after the perpetrators and uh, and prove them. Uh, and and that takes time. You know that's that's the unfortunate situation we're in, um, and we just have to. Rely on community in the meantime and, uh, and keep building those communities. If anyone's out there that's involved in a local community group, then I'm involved with several at the moment helping more set up. Uh, build your local community group. Actions for Canada is embedded in all sorts of these groups. Build a local community group. Outs- outsource it. Go out to the next community. Build a group there and help them get going and, and, and get this thing to cascade because there are literally millions of Canadians that are willing to support and help. you just got to find them.
8: Right. So is there a way to find out exactly who is actively involved in giving the orders for these vehicles to be uh, towed or who is actually there? Um, like for the fellow that was breaking the window, they would not give their badge or ID numbers or anything like that. Is there a way to request or demand that information other yeah, than I mean, going through
1: court? If they haven't given their badge and ID number, they've broken the law instantly uh, because that's a requirement of Canadian law. The law enforcement officer has to give their badge and ID number. So they've broken the law. Um freedom of information request. Take a little bit of time, but just mm-hmm. st- st- start sticking uh um FOIs in. Um and 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 just literally, you know, use a net rather than a fish hook. Get it in there and freedom mm-hmm. of you throw an FOI in for absolutely everything and get get everyone to do it, not just one person. Get everyone to throw it in and, and the nuggets will come out. The fish the fish will get caught eventually.
2: Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's good. And when you do the uh, freedom, in, freedom of information, they may, it, it, what Stuart is saying is good is there's, a, if there's multiple uh, people in a community, each of you ask for something different. And if you ask for one too big, they may say, well, that'll be $1,600 for the freedom of information. And then even if it's uh, $300, you say, uh, you know, I'm requesting that you waive that fee because this is a matter of public interest. And then generally they waive that fee. It's always worked for me anyway. So that's just a, a little helpful hint. We don't want to have to pay for the information that should be publicly available to us. All right, well, thank you, uh, Stuart, so much. I want to give you a moment. Um, I would love to hear if you have any last thoughts, anything that you would want to add that we didn't cover?
1: Um, no, I mean, this is the thing. I, I, I put up a couple of quite, ex- you know, longer videos on the subject. Um, Obviously, there's a, there's, a, there's a lot more out there. Uh, but my biggest thing is um, for people to just uh, get involved. Part of the reason that this has happened is because so many Canadians have disengaged from the public sphere. You know, and there's an old saying that just because you're not interested in politics doesn't mean that politics won't take an interest in you. And that's where a lot of Canadians are at right now. So um, I think that the traditional infrastructure, the traditional structures of polit- political action in this country are dead, my personal feeling. Um, the legacy parties, as Brian Peckford said, even need to be completely overhauled or just played and replaced. And I, I prefer the replaced bit because there are too many goons in these organizations. So get involved, uh, create something new, um, start a movement in your local uh, constituency to just replace these people, get them out. Um, but the biggest thing, insist on justice um, because it's not enough to just have these mandates lifted. It's not enough that there's a whole pile of victims out there need to see justice it's not going to mean that everyone's going to get just compensation because there just isn't that much resource out there in the world however justice is uh to me uh, an important thing that everyone needs to aim at the perpetrators need to be held accountable we need to we might have to build a few extra prisons but it's got to happen later later. Yeah, absolutely
2: well my friend my new friend it has just been an honour and a pleasure to have you on tonight. I know that everyone that um, has joined us, if they could all open up the mics and give you a round of applause and thank you for your service, your continued service to, to Canadians, um, I know that that would be revealed. We've got that little clappy thing here on behalf of uh, you know our, our uh, viewers. <laughs> That's just for a little bit of fun. But genuinely and sincerely, Stuart, thank you so much. Keep up the incredible great work. Um, and we're going to want an update from you at some time, and we'll hope you'll come back.
1: Well, we'll do. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Thank
2: you so much. Okay. All right, right, everyone. As always, thank you so much. Uh, Terenzio, do we have uh, the flyer for next week? We do the invite for our guests. Okay. Let's pull that up. We are really pleased that uh, honorable Brian Peffert will be our guest next week, Wednesday. Again, that's his second time on the empower hour. This man is working hard as well. And uh, so we're going to be encouraged and empowered by what he has to say as well. So we hope you'll join us. That will be up on the empower hour page probably by tomorrow, if not by tonight, but let's count on tomorrow. So enjoy, uh, go to the Empower Our page and make sure that you uh, pre-register. And I just want to just thank everyone when you come and enjoy this time with us. And again, we hope that you feel hopeful by the end of it. We hope that you feel empowered. Um, I'd actually, I think what I'd like to do is close in a word of prayer as well. Sometimes I do it, sometimes I don't. I just feel compelled to do that tonight. We have much to be grateful for uh, that transpired last weekend, the lifting of that emergency act. But we also have more to appeal to the Lord for. So Lord, I just thank you so much for everybody that's on this call, anybody that had to sign off and anybody that couldn't make it tonight. Lord, we have a lot of hurting Canadians We have a lot uh, of people that have experienced great hardships tonight and incredible loss. And Lord, you are our hope and our, our salvation. And we know that we had turned our back on you and any country that has throughout history has had to endure many struggles um, until Canadians, in this particular instance, until the citizens came to a point where they recognized how bad it was. We didn't even see this coming for the majority. We were busy in our lives, raising our kids, working, involved in our communities, and a great evil has crept into our land. So we come and I want to... Even ask people to appeal to you to repent, even in our apathy. Because you say, Lord, for those that repent, that you are a God of justice, that you are a God of love. But when I say you are a God of justice, that doesn't mean you turn your back on evil and sin. That means you call it out and that you've been merciful to this nation, giving us an opportunity to recognize this and how, how big the evil is in this land. But you're still on the throne. And throughout history, you always win. Good always wins. And so I just pray for that. I pray that you would be a mighty healer to those who are hurting. For those who are at the end of their rope, Lord Jesus, bring some kind of community to them. Bring somebody to support them. For those who are out of work, Lord, we pray that you would bring them an income. And uh, God, that you would just continue to be merciful and that you would heal our land. We just commit this day and the rest of this week to you. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. So God bless you and God bless Canada. And we're going to look forward to so so many more good things and good wins. And we'll see you next week. Be found on justice, and those with virtuous hearts will pursue it. You have a virtuous heart if you are here today pursuing freedom and righteousness. And then verse 23 comes along with a promise God says, He will turn the sins of evil people back on them, He will destroy them for their sins. I take great comfort in that, because I serve a mighty living God who has allowed us to go through this season of discomfort, because we as a nation had turned our backs on Him, and we need to get right. So I am just going to thank you so much. I'm going to say God bless you, and God bless Canada.